Hey, Heat Nation! Welcome back to Heaters Gonna Heat. I'm your host, Kyle Russell, here to chat a little about our favorite NBA team, the Miami Heat. Apologies for this episode coming out a day later than usual. Um, I had a family emergency yesterday that I had hope to take care of, so I'm now recording today. But today is still an important day. It is the start of the NBA regular season, though the Heat will not start their first game until tomorrow. But still, excitement all around, another season literally hours away from tipping off. Uh, I'm still I'm still psyched for it. But quick rundown for today. We'll just be going through the last two preseason games last week. Do a little roster talk in the middle just because some roster moves were made over the weekend and then there's some trade speculation as well. And then we'll finish up uh, looking ahead to the start of the regular season. So to start off with, we go back to last uh, Wednesday where Miami hosted the Brooklyn Nets in a game that they ultimately lost over preseason, so (laughs) doesn't really mean that much at the end of the day, win or lose. Uh, Takeaways from this game, just a few things that stood out um, of interest to me. First, Haywood Highsmith continuing to look confident knocking down threes, even from deep range, whether not just the corners, but also like a foot or two behind the wing, in almost like, I I think I mentioned it before, like almost Steph Curry-esque range, but without the pull-up part, so not, not without that degree of difficulty. But just to say that like, Highsmith confidently taking those kinds of shots, and if he can continue to knock them down at the rate that he did, he was uh, 3 of 4 um, in that Nets game. If he can continue to knock them down at that rate, uh, the defense will have to respect it eventually, and that'll just expand what he can do um, as a 3 and D role player for Miami. Now, the kicker for this, unfortunately, was Highsmith late in this Nets game um, in- got an injury. We'll cover that a little bit later on, but... Suffice to say, it might be a week or two before we actually see if he can translate that to regular season play. But again, preseason, Highsmith has looked phenomenal. He looks like he's a rotation player ready to go right now. Uh, Other takeaways from this game, for the next game, Jamal came, again, very active on the rebounding boards. Uh, 14 rebounds in total, 6 on the offensive glass, 8 on the defensive, and that's been a trend we've seen throughout the preseason as well. Uh, Kane showing a knack for getting offensive rebounds, which in this Miami system that already struggles to score offensively, offensive rebounds are good just, just because they help you win the possession battle. So, And if you can't score off it, uh, efficiently, then you want to outscore your opponents by just getting more possessions than them. Jamal Kane uh, has shown an ability to contribute to that. And then the last takeaway from the Nets game, uh, Drew Smith coming out with 10 assists, 3 turnovers in 28 minutes. And really showing some playmaking skills, the ability to get the offense running, and then obviously with 10 assists, setting teammates up well to score baskets. That was the Nets game on Wednesday. Last Friday, we had the last preseason game at the Houston Rockets in a game that the Heat also lost, Forever, however much you want to take that. Uh, takeaways from this game. First one, Nikola Jovic came out with 10 points and a team high plus 10, and at f- showing some progression throughout the game, meaning earlier on in the game, he was looking more to try to set up teammates or to knock down shots from outside, but as the game progressed, he started driving to the basket more and had some really creative finishes around the basket. Again, just to kind of suggest, like, hey, man, you don't have to just play make. You don't have to just spot up and shoot. You can also drive to the basket. You can also try to find ways to score creatively inside. Uh, Jovic really does have a very multifaceted game, and it's just a question of, of how can he put it all together. But at least something that he showed that I wasn't quite as aware of, uh, the driving and the finishing around the basket. Like Again, some of them really good highlights to look up if, if you have the time. 
Um, after Jovic, though, RJ Hampton arguably stole the show for the Heat uh, on their side of things in that Friday night game. Uh, and RJ Hampton had been injured er- earlier throughout the preseason, so he had missed a few games. So this was also a really good opportunity for him to show out in what was you know his last chance before roster cut Saturday. But RJ Hampton, 17 points, 3 rebounds, 5 assists in 26 minutes, uh, showed some athleticism, was knocking down threes. Got a little reckless on on some drives going at the basket, but I mean, all things considered, he still finished with phenomenal production, and again made a good case for him, like Drew Smith did on Wednesday, of hey, I can be a backup point guard for y'all. And then last takeaway from the Rockets loss, um, Tyler Hero, uh, thirteen points, one rebound, four assists, and only about sixteen and a half minutes, still looking comfortable. Still looking fluid, still looking like he's trying to get contact, and still looking like he can play Mick a little bit on top of the scoring as well. So if he's got a good balance between those two, you know we we still want Hero to lean a little bit more towards scoring. But if if it's to the point to where the defense is collapsing on him with like double teams and he can kick that out, then hey, the playmaking is also good. But overall, Hero looking very impressive on the offensive end and. Looks like he is set to have another big regular season. So that covers our last two preseason games. Just some quick takeaways from the last week of the preseason in general. Uh, first, we didn't really get to see this until the actual Friday game itself, but we we had seen this in little bits here and there. Um, if the plan is to start both Kyle Lowry and Kevin Love for the Miami Heat, which it seems Love is pretty well locked into that four spot. There is some controversy about the point guard spot, but throughout the preseason, at least, when the Heat haven't been putting out you know their full starting lineups, it's been Kyle Lowry starting. And we, this was very evident in the Friday game where they started Lowry and Love. And the problem with that is, is uh, both of them are very old, uh, relatively, and are liabilities on defense, especially against young athletic teams. And it was especially glaring in that Rockets game because this is a Rockets team that has a lot of young athletic players. Um, in particular, the, the first-round draft pick they got, um, I think it's Amir Thompson. I know, I know he has a twin that's also on Detroit. But I believe it's Amir that is the one that ended up on the Rockets. Regardless, that guy was just blowing past Miami defenders. And it, it's an especially going to be a big issue if it's a Love-Lowry uh, starting together. Maybe that means uh, in certain matchups that Spolstra you know, sits Love for Highsmith or sits Lowry for Ro- Richardson. But the two of them together against a young athletic team just seems like a recipe for bad defense on Miami's part. Next takeaway, uh, one I already touched on a little bit already, uh, Nikola Jovic, uh, for the most part, still looking very raw on the court. Like He has all the tools, like I already mentioned, the shooting, the playmaking, uh, driving to the rim, finishing at the basket. It's just a question of, of him understanding when to use a tool and what situation. And if he does put that all together, figures out how to use the right tool in the right situation... I mean, then that's that's the ceiling, right? That's where we talk about uh, where like where Miami could legitimately improve beyond where they were last season. It would be something like Jovic putting all those tools together and becoming a rotation level player, potentially at at the best case scenario, even the starting four next to Bam Adebayo. Like that's I as I see it, legitimately the ceiling. No, currently he's still more of, of a reserve. He's still learning to put it all together. He is still also relatively young. Uh, point in case. He is still younger than Jaime Jaquez, who is our first-round draft pick. So it has to be a, a balance, you know. 
on the one hand, we obviously want him to reach that ceiling and be able to contribute now. But on the other hand, you have to keep realistic expectations for somebody that's just turned 20, like 2021, 21 at most. I can't remember exactly how old he is, but young, right? Relatively young. Overall with Jovic, I think that is going to be a storyline to follow throughout the season where uh, for sure I think you're going to have instances where like Kevin Love's out. Um, we already have an instance where Haywood Highsmith's going to be out for a week or so. And in those situations, Jovic will get his, his chance to be out on the court and to continue to try to learn, grow, evolve, and try to reach that ceiling. So that'll be something to watch throughout the season. And then last takeaway from last week, um, for sure, in terms of the backup center, it's going to be Thomas Bryant. Uh, Again, no shade to Orlando Robinson, but every opportunity throughout this preseason, the backup spot has been given to Thomas Bryant, and he has been effective at that. Uh, For the most part, not... Like he's been able to be kind of neutral on defense, so, sometimes bad, but that was against like Wimbenyama, and and that that's just something you got to get used to. That guy's insane. He's going to be in, and he's going to be insane. But what's really stood out for Bryant has been the offensive contributions, especially getting to the free throw line and then uh, making plays and scoring out of the pick and roll. So in that sense, I, I see the vision for, for what, what's going on there. Sure, maybe we're taking a, an offensive dip going from Bam to Bryant, but if we can keep the offense afloat, then from a net perspective, we can stay neutral until Bam gets back out onto the floor, which again is a drastic improvement over last year where uh, Dwayne Dedman was getting like minus 10s, minus 15s, plus minus uh, in you know a lot of those games. It, it, it came out to about the equivalent of like three or four more games Miami could have won if they had just been neutral from the backup five versus negative with Deadman. And that difference would have been enough to get them out of the play-in into the playoffs. So so then you see how, you know, just, just a little bit here, it adds up over the course of the season and makes a significant difference at the end. So for that, I think Thomas Bryant uh, is going to fit in well as the backup five. And with that, we are done with preseason talk, uh, at least until next year. So, what I wanted to do for this next segment was talk a little bit about the state of the roster, because we talked about last week, there was a 14th spot available, uh, and there was kind of an open competition, and eventually we figured out who got that 14th roster spot, and ended up being Drew Smith, which makes a lot of sense. The need for Miami was a backup point guard or reserve guard, however you want to call it, but someone that could help play point guard for this team, given that Josh Richardson is not necessarily a natural one, he's more like a combo guard, and Kyle Lowry, while a true point guard, and arguably the only true point guard on the roster, he's 37, 38 years old, I, I can't, I'm apologize, I can't remember exactly how old it is, but he's relatively old, and we expect him to miss time throughout the season. If that's the case, you need somebody else that can, that can run point. At least to, to some some level of floor, right? You still got Jimmy, you still got Bam, um, you can still have players like Jovic as well that can play make, Tyler Hero, like, there's lots of sources of playmaking, and I talked before about how I think the approach for the Heat is going to be more of a playmaking by committee approach, but still, that only applies when you have your players uh, healthy, and for the most part, that mainly applies to Miami starting and closing lineups. And it becomes a question of what do you do with the bench? Like, what do you do with the bench if Kyle Lowry's out? Well, then you have to worry about moving around Hero and Bam and Jimmy's minutes so that you can still cover that playmaking gap for the bench. Instead, though, you just get another backup guard like Drew Smith that can go in there and plug in that spot immediately. 
as for my impression of Smith that I saw through the regular season, he seems like a low ceiling, high floor, closer to a veteran type player. Which makes a lot of sense why he got the, the vote of confidence mainly from uh, Eric Spolstra. Because that, that's the kind of players he likes. So this seems like, a, again, low ceiling, high floor, meaning he's going to come in there, he's going to play defense, he's going to hustle, maybe knock down some open shots, you know, try to set up teammates. He's he, High floor. Not gonna not gonna do anything too bad, but conversely, I don't think he's gonna do anything too great. I don't think he's gonna have a twenty point explosion night. Um, that ten assist night he had was partially because he had the ball in his hands a lot, so maybe not necessarily get to a uh, ten assist night, but he might have a few five assist nights. But for the most part, looks solid. I I can't really complain. I understand people that wanted more high upside players, but in terms of just having a high floor, I think Drew Smith was probably the best out of the options available. So, with Drew Smith getting the 14th roster spot, that means the other three players that I discussed last week fighting for that spot, uh, Jamal Cain, Cole Swider, and RJ Hampton, those all end up being the two-way players. And with with Drew Smith being promoted from a two-way to a standard contract, that freed up a two-way spot that went to Cole Swider. So, uh, real quick, uh, Jamal Cain, like, Arguably was the best player of the four throughout the throughout the preseason. He just ran into the unfortunate part, like I mentioned last time, that there was just too many wings ahead of him. Between Jimmy Butler, Caleb Martin, Jaime Jaquez, uh, Haywood Highsmith, maybe even Tyler Hero if you want to uh, make him more of a wing as well. There was just too many in front of him. But it what this does mean for Jamal Cain is, hey man, we put you on this two-way contract, you still develop another year, and then you revisit this next year when it's very likely that Caleb Martin is going to leave in free agency because some team's going to overpay him. And so in that, if that ends up being the case, it would be Caleb Martin out, Jamal Cain in. Boom. Plug and play. Move on to the next. Uh, next one, RJ Hampton. I really wish he would have gotten more time to show off in preseason uh, he said a lot of the right things I remember from Media Day about being defense first. He did flash a lot of high upside, that 17.3 rebound, 5 assist game against the Rockets. Like Again, he stood out. It just seems like he wasn't able to do enough to supplant uh, Drew Smith in the eyes of the coaching staff. But he's, he'll still be around. He'll still be a two-way player for Miami. He'll still get a year to prove himself. And... Like with previous players like Caleb Martin, being on a two-way doesn't necessarily mean that you won't get opportunity. Maybe we have a situation where like Richardson and Lowry go down. So then, which would be very bad, but what that means is you you plug in Drew Smith already and then you bring RJ Hampton up and you give him that opportunity. A very similar thing happened with Caleb Martin a few years ago. Uh, Markeith Morris, Markeith Marcus. I can never remember which one we ended up having. One of the Morris twins that we had on the team uh, got injured. That was the Nikola Jokic incident. And then that gave um, opportunity for Caleb Martin to show that he was more than a two-way player and was eventually part of the uh, roster by the end of the season. So for RJ Hampton, that's where I would be. Hey, man, just you know, keep developing wait for any opportunities as they arise because there's a greater chance of an opportunity arising out of the point guard position with this team. And if not, if this does drag into next summer, well, Kyle Lowry is likely gone after this summer just because it does not seem like things have worked out well between him and the Heat, provided he even makes it until the end of the summer. It's very likely that the Heat could try to trade Kyle Lowry uh, by the trade deadline and try to use his contract to bring in other pieces. So, 
again, opportunity is there for RJ Hampton, if not at during this season, like early in the season with injuries, or later in the season if Lowry gets uh, traded, then next season as well, provided Lowry ends up moving on. And then RJ Hampton plug in, hey, again, like with Jamal Kane, uh, one goes out, on to the next. And then last one, uh, Cole Swider, who fits in, who was the one that was actually got the two-way contract, because the other two were already on two-way contracts. But Swider definitely stood out for his sharpshooting and size. Uh, defensively, still needs some work, but that's fine. That's nothing that, that the Heat aren't used to in terms of increasing the defensive ability of the players on their roster. But the, uh, the shooting looks legit. And pretty much looks like, again, we have a continuation of that pipeline, right? We already got Tyler Hero as a sniper. We already had Duncan Robinson. Max Struess came in, and he is now gone. Cole Swider, you're now going to come in, and you're going to be that next one. So if the Heat want to get off of Duncan, either the trade deadline or next summer, well, now they have Cole Swider they can plug in next. So taking a step back now and looking at it as a whole, I'm so legitimately impressed with, with what they've done with these players. Mainly because like, Drew Smith makes, makes sense as the fit there. And then all three of those two-way players, I immediately see where they can plug in for players that are likely to leave in the next few years. So again, Miami Heat development remains undefeated. Uh, so last part that I wanted to talk about before we moved on to talking about the regular season, and it's kind of in the realm of roster talks, would be if the Miami Heat should try to trade for James Harden, who continues to have his trade request open for the Philadelphia 76ers and has stopped showing up to preseason games. Uh, it, it's a little bit like with the, the Ben Simmons situation in that uh, it is he is listed out for personal reasons, whereas Ben Simmons listed himself out for, for mental reasons. And on, on the one hand, you kind of want to give them the benefit of the doubt. You don't want to be that guy that's like calling Wolf and, oh no, it actually was a legit thing. Uh, but on the other hand, the circumstances and the timing raise suspicion. Um, and it just, just seems like somebody trying to do stuff to get out. So I, I do see both sides, but innocent until proven guilty, I'm going to at least say, okay, maybe it is a legitimate personal issue. Hopefully everything is fine with James Harden's life. Moving beyond that now, though, and just talking about like uh, what it would mean for the, for the Heat to acquire James Harden. Well, the, the upside is pretty apparent, right? James Harden, it would give the Heat a durable lead playmaker slash scorer that could get them through the regular season and arguably would not cost them much. Like what the what uh, Philly has reportedly been asking from um, the Clippers, who has been the primary trade destination Harden wants to go to, has been along the lines of like, give us a glue guy and some draft compensation, like a first or sec- uh, one or two first-round picks. The Heat can match or exceed that for sure. So the cost would not be that much. And again, you would point to, hey, this, is, this guy's been one of the most prolific scorers in NBA history, and he led the league in assists last year. So, I mean, you, you need a lead guard, right? This guy's a lead guard, at least on paper. The downside, though is where I ultimately get to a big, vehement no-thank-you for me. The very first of which is going to be his conditioning and how that, how, you know, historically, James Harden has not been necessarily in the best physical condition relative to where the Heat have their standards for their players. So that could immediately be conflict there with, hey, James, we need you to get in better shape over the course of the season. And James Harden saying, eh, not really. Uh, other potential problems like it's just laden with pitfalls because 
say James. So James Harden is primarily doing this because he wants to get a bigger contract next summer. Is part of the reason why he wants to get to the Clippers. So then he could be on the Clippers. They would have his bird rights. They have um, their owner. I can't remember his name off the top of my head right now. But he's loaded. Like, absolutely loaded. One of the richest owners in the NBA, if not the richest. So James Harden's thinking is, hey, I get to the Clippers. I, you know, maybe I help him get, get somewhat deep in the playoffs. And then I get a big contract out of it. And, yeah, I'm all happy. Well, if he goes to Miami, there's not really that big of a chance that the Heat are going to offer him that extension that he wants. And so then what does he do with that? Does he sulk? Does he actually try to buy in and, and prove to the rest of the NBA that he's still worth that money? It's a gamble. But the problem with that gamble is if it turns out badly and James Harden decides to make a mess out of everything himself, well, he could torpedo the entire season by himself and then walk away for nothing next offseason, leaving behind another wasted year of Jimmy's prime. To me, that's that's the biggest concern, because I know I've seen out there, oh, well, what would it cost? It's only a one-year rental. Jimmy Butler's 34 years old. We don't have the luxury to gamble even one year on, oh, well, if it doesn't work out, it only costs us a year, because that could be the year that's the end of Jimmy's prime, and then next year, that window is completely shut. So... Taking on the risk of James Harden blowing things up versus just keeping your roster as is, which is still mostly a roster that made the way to the finals last year, that that just seems like the better choice to me. Uh, and on top, so for me, it's it's a big no. I, I understand the arguments for it, but I'm not going to say that you're stupid for, for saying, oh, he would be really great. By all means, I, I, again, I see the arguments, but when I weigh out ev- all the pros and cons, the off-court issues, you know, the jokes that we're going to make about him going to the to uh, strip clubs in Miami and not being in good condition, or him sulking because he's not getting the touches that he wants, is on the uh, sorry, on top of he doesn't really play a lick of defense, which is something that's going to annoy the hell out of Eric Spolstra. Like when I stack all the negatives up, it just outweighs the positives for me. And then last point I'll put on this, uh, and this is a bit more of a general point as well. I don't think the Heat are going to make any roster moves until around December. Main reason for that is, A, that's when uh, summer contracts become more available, and so teams can just be more flexible with the trades that they want to make. And then B, it gives the Heat 20 games to see what they have with their current roster, which is typically something that they've done in years past. They say, hey, give us 20 games. Let's see how the roster looks. Then we can assess and try to figure out what the needs are. So it just makes sense to me that they continue that this year and say, hey, uh, unless something crazy happens and he goes to the Clippers, that James Harden trade will likely still be there. Uh, in December, and then we'll also have a better chance of, of assessing how committed he is to trying to rebuild his uh, market value by then as well. All right, that's enough James Harden talk for me. Let's talk about the regular season because we are finally getting legit, official, real, regular season NBA Miami Heat basketball games starting this week. It only took us like four months. Uh, so... Here's how I usually like to do this. Um, I'm going to go through the injury list because, unfortunately for Miami, we already have an injury list. And then we'll just talk a little bit about what the the general state of the week is and then some individual looks at the games throughout the next week. So, unfortunately, first up, injury list. Jaime Jaquez has been listed day-to-day with a groin injury, but that... um, that seemed very precautionary to me. It ended up happening, I want to say, the first preseason game. Maybe it got aggravated during a training 
day, but uh, it for the most part, it, is, it just has come across to me as very precautionary. What he showed in that one preseason game, it seemed very apparent that the guy is ready to play at the NBA level. So in that case, might as well you know rest him, make sure the injury is no big deal, especially groin injuries. I know groins and hamstring injuries are particularly finicky uh, and can crop back up out of nowhere. So you do want to make sure you do your due diligence and keep that guy ready for the regular season. So I don't expect anything long-term for Hawkins. Uh, after that, Josh Richardson uh, injured a foot in the, I believe it was the Wednesday game last week. Uh, yeah, against the Nets. Uh, but again, they did an MRI. MRI came back fine, and it just seems mainly precautionary because they know Josh Richardson's going to be at least a rotation-level player for them, if not a starter like how I envision it. Uh, and then lastly, Haywood Highsmith. Uh, this one's actually the legit injury. Sprained MCL at the end of that Nets game last Wednesday. Will be evaluated in about another week, week and a half. So Highsmith will miss the first few games uh, for Miami, but... That'll give opportunity to maybe like a Jovic to see what he can do. Moving on now for the Heat's first week. It starts off relatively easy and then gets really hard really quick. Uh, the Heat have one home game. They will open up on their home court tomorrow night against the Detroit Pistons. And then they will immediately go on a three-game road trip, which is always just fun to start your season that way. Uh, they will go to the Celtics on Friday, back-to-back at the Wolves on Saturday, and then at the Bucks on Monday. So just real fun. You know, go on the road to go on the road to with a back-to-back, all against uh, playoff teams from last year. Fantastic. But first up, hosting the Detroit Pistons on Wednesday. Uh, for the Pistons side of things, they are dealing with some injuries. Bogdan Bogdanovich, who torched Miami regularly last year, and Monte Morris for them are both already listed as out due to injuries. So. Both teams coming in maybe a little bit banged up to start the season. Isn't this fun? <laughs> but uh, key players and matchups to look for in this Pistons one. First up for Miami is going to be defending Cade Cunningham, who, as I understand it, is kind of the head of the snake in Detroit should he be healthy. He missed most of last season due to an injury, so I would imagine he's going to come back this season ready to bounce back and, and contribute to the team. And then the other thing of interest for me is going to be uh, Bam Adebayo in particular because he'll be going up against at least a on-paper talented front court of Marvin Bagley III, former second overall pick, and James Wiseman, who I believe was a first overall pick for the Warriors. So Bam will go up against some talented young front court players. I expect him to dominate still, but it just will be something of interest. I think it'll be an interesting matchup to, to look into. And then I think the general strategy for Miami here. Honestly, the Pistons are not a very great team, so the, you, you know the general strategy is just play up to your play up to your level, I guess. But the Pistons are a young, athletic team, which can bring up some issues, like I mentioned earlier, especially if you're starting Kyle Lowry and Kevin Love. So the question for Miami is: Can they contain Detroit on the fast break, uh, and in and then in the half court if they start running around a lot uh, during sets, things like that? But overall. I mean, well, let's be honest. This should be an opening night win for Miami, which would be very important because immediately they go on their three-game road trip. Next one, at Celtics on Friday. Celtics team currently listed completely uh, healthy. Actually, sorry. There was like one Al Horford thing, but it was day-to-day, and I think he'll be fine by Friday. But Celtics, for the most part, look good. Uh, key players and matchups here. First up is going to be how Bam Adebayo matched up against Kristaps Porzingis for the Celtics. That not only matters now, but could matter all the way into the playoffs next year. And then 
uh, Jimmy versus Tatum, just because I think that's a fun matchup, especially if they get to defend each other. General strategy here, uh, it's, it's going to be a little bit tricky just because these are a very much new-look Celtics. They, they, for the most part, overhauled a good amount of their rotation from last year to this year while still keeping the core of Brown and Tatum there, of course. But the, the, the book on the Celtics in the years past was that you would typically bank on them collapsing late in games, whether you know, lollygagging around or just not executing properly. But the way Miami beat Boston over these last few years has essentially been keep it close and then outplay them uh, down the stretch. So I I believe that the Heat should still take that approach here and essentially just see how these new-look Celtics match up with Miami when everything gets tight at the end of the game. After the Celtics, though, Miami will go to the Timberwolves the following day, Saturday, back-to-back, always fun. A Timberwolves team that is currently very healthy. Uh, no, no one listed on the injury report for them. Key players and matchups for this. First up, is going up, it's going to be going up against the two-big lineup of Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert. However, I think there are ways that you can exploit that. Um, and then the other part will be defending Anthony Edwards, who, coming off of his FIBA run, looks poised to make the leap into, like, superstar, all-NBA uh, territory. So general strategy here, it it's going to be tough from the first part of this is going to be a back-to-back. So for Miami, I think it's going to be lean on threes. One, because you may not necessarily have the legs to drive to the basket and second out of back-to-back. And then two, if you drain a lot of threes, it helps to pull the bigs from the Wolves out onto the perimeter which then obviously free stuff inside the paint for like Bam and Jimmy to operate. But I do want to caution because the Wolves over the last few years since we've gotten Jimmy Butler, whether it's just matchup or whether it's because of like Vendetta, they play really well against Miami and typically beat Miami. So this is not the Wolves of years past that were a bottom feeder. This is a team that legitimately should be a playoff contender this year. So they need to be treated with respect as such. And then on top of it being the second out of the back-to-back, uh, I actually legitimately don't know between the Celtics and Wolves which of those two games is going to be harder because of the, the context surrounding it. Like, on paper, the Celtics are tougher, sure, but the Wolves will be the second out of the back-to-back after playing those Celtics and on the road. I don't know. It's rough. Just just to say that it's rough. And if we come out of this week uh, negative, like 1-2, and two, it's, uh, it's understandable. But the good news is this isn't football where... Uh, that can you know derail your season. If this is just the first week of the NBA, there's still 79 games after this. So the last game of this road trip will be at the Bucks next Monday. But uh, provided nothing nothing uh, gets in the way this time, um, I'll be releasing the next podcast next Monday before that game drops. So we'll cover that game next week. And then on top of that, uh, we can go ahead and just start to get into the regular rhythm of the season. Uh, we'll, we'll obviously talk about the first week of games. Uh, I haven't figured out what I'm going to do yet for the middle segment next week, but then the last segment, as usual, will preview the next week of games. So we're starting to get back into the regular season rhythm of things now, uh, and I'm looking forward to another season covering the Miami Heat, even if it's just from my tiny little podcast. But I do thank you for hanging around today. That'll be all for this episode. Please, if you can, follow the pod at Heaters Heating and myself at KBR Heat Culture off of X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it. Uh, We also have a bunch of other great pods at OTG Basketball, Celtics Wire, uh, Brooklyn Buzz. They do some great work over there. Uh, Links for everything are in the show notes as usual. So I'll be back next week. Until then, I hope you all have a good one. Heat Nation.